Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Chen. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. I'm Miles. This week we have Glenn Dahlgren joining Alex to talk about how he got into the industry and the great games he's worked on, like Wheel of Time and Unreal 2. But first we're going to get into some news. So to start off, we all know about uh, Discord and Microsoft falling through. Oh. Uh, there are supposed talks oh, uh, for Microsoft to buy the platform. But now we're hearing about PlayStation. Uh, getting in on the action and working with Discord to bring it to PlayStation. I was literally teasing my friend last year, saying that's not going to be ever be possible for using Discord on your PS. So, and they literally do it right in this year. Jesus, mm-hmm. I guess hell has frozen over finally. <laughs> so PlayStation is getting actual party support and you know good chatting. Uh, I mean, they had like the limited ability to actually talk with people, but beyond that is kind of nothing so it'll be nice to see how they go forward with it yeah we're finally released from that uh, ps party yes yeah no more playstation party i mean well integration i guess is going to be the word for it so it's going to be called playstation party uh but running on the backbone of discord which i think will just help out the load of like playstation immensely so I think that's a, a good move by them going forward. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that. Um, yes, I, I will probably uh, turn on my PlayStation again soon. Um, <laughs> uh, we also have, starting this week, is the Apple vs. Epic uh, court case uh, with regards to the App Store monopoly that Epic claims that Apple has with their App Store and Fortnite. So we will see how it goes with them. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be interesting and it, it's going to have a lot writing like the industry is going to potentially change regardless of how this turns out so it's going to be really interesting going forward to seeing how this uh, how this changes the industry because it's is kind of a big case honestly i'm glad this is happening uh i feel like apple has really like changed the landscape of gaming um yes at least when it comes to like handheld games yes uh like i agree with that and i also i it's i think i i side with epic on it and like there needs to be more options for people to get the things they want to get but uh and i do think apple does have like a, a a strong grip on everything but they also have a ton of money behind them and i just uh they both have really good lawyers uh, so <laughs> They can afford them, and we'll see how this turns out. I mean, I hope, I hope we will see a better, uh, a better landscape on the other side of this uh, for everybody. For all the gaming law students out there, this is going to be one to watch. Yes, gaming law, uh, new majors definitely coming to a college near you. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a very lucrative business. I have a feeling in New Year in soon um i wish i would have our last class yeah 
Yes, uh, it'll happen as much as we can. Also, the uh, last little bit of news is we have a new trailer for that League of Legends Arcane series on Netflix out now. So you can check that out uh, online. I think that would be a very interesting... It'll be very interesting. Like It looks really good. Uh, it looks like they nailed the feel of what they're trying to capture. So, at least visually. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see how it goes, and we'll see how the real League fans appreciate it or not. Um, but I think that is it for the news at the moment, and we are going to be throwing it over to Glenn Dahlgren talking with Alex today. Um, they had a very interesting conversation. Talk about, like again, we said uh, Wheel of Time and Unreal 2, uh, how he initially got into the industry, uh, some of the games he made in high school and uh he has some advice uh for people looking to get into the industry so you'll want to stick around and hear that at the end of the interview uh but without further ado here is alex talking with glenn dahlgren welcome back we are here with glenn dahlgren glenn welcome ah thank you very much for having me thank you for being here now uh glenn why don't you tell everybody how you got started in video games Ah, that is a long story. Uh, I started in high school, which was many, many years ago. And uh, I started writing games for the Tandy Color Computer, um, if you remember that computer. Absolutely, Uh, the Coco. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I freelanced for a little while. I made adventure games um, and then moved on to arcade games. In college, I actually started my own company called Sundog Systems. Um, I not only made my own games, but actually produced a, a lot of others. And at the end of the life cycle for that computer, I had the inside front cover of the last remaining magazine dedicated for the Tandy Color computer. But it was, it was uh, as successful as I think it could possibly be. I actually helped pay my way through college um, with those games. And I was able to get college credit for one of them um, in my computer graphics course. Um, and I leveraged it into a, uh, a, a career in the computer games industry. Uh, now, can you sort of maybe ruminate on the cyclical nature of the industry? How like the rise of the computer may be synchronized with the rise of your company? <laughs> well, I, I was there at the tail end of my computer, so I, I, I hope I didn't bring about its, its failure. Well, then- no, certainly the platform, though. The platform certainly molds the, the companies that build for it, right? Oh, so. sure, sure. Yeah, well, um, I think I was actually there at the beginning of sort of the, the ramping up of computer games as a, uh, a broader um, interest for a lot of people. So I joined mm-hmm. uh, Legend Entertainment. And actually, I stayed at Legend Entertainment for, I, I want to say, 14 years. Um, so that's unheard of in this industry to say one place for so long. I mean, very, uh, there are people who can do it, but usually they're founders. Um, and, uh, so I, I stayed at legend. I, I started out doing adventure games. We did, you know, a ton of them. Um, and they were pretty successful. We were one of the sort of the big adventure game makers, um, in the nineties. Uh, we did a lot of literary licenses like, um, death gate and, and gateway, Frederick Pohl's gateway, um, wheel of time, um, those were actually a couple of my games, Deathgate and Wheel of Time. And then we moved on to, we worked on, with Wheel of Time, it was not an adventure game. It was a first-person shooter. And so that got us into working with Epic, working with Unreal. Um, and then um, that relationship went so well that they gave us their flagship product, which was Unreal 2, uh, to do. 
so that's that's a long line of like hardware and platforms to have been building for over those years. And I mean, that one company, how did it? How did you guys keep up with the changing hardware landscape? Like you're making stuff for PCs and consoles and all over the place, right? Actually, uh, we were primarily PC. Just straight DOS? Yeah. So I did more console work after Legend um, and, you know, on to you know, Facebook games, social games, mobile platforms, things like that. But the um, we were aware of console. And I think Unreal 2 was, was uh, released on console after the fact. Um, but that was more of a port. Um, so we primarily just kept up with, you know, how fast can a PC go now? And let's take advantage of that. What do you remember from the PC development environments and tools? I mean, you probably had your own internal in-house tools, right? Uh, we did, um, but uh, remember, we were making adventure games, so we had our own yeah. engine, we had our own, sure. you know, everything associated with that. But when I moved to Unreal, sort of Unreal was always a bit ahead of the technology curve. I mean, you, you, I had a machine that I would move one piece in the map and it would take five minutes to relocate that and you know, give me, let me edit anymore. So that was mm -hmm. really difficult. We had to buy a cutting edge PC just so I could edit something just to see if the engine would work. And this was before mm -hmm. anybody else had seen it. This was you know, from mm -hmm. Tim's basement at the time. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we basically had to have the, the best at the moment, but I think those were like 386s at the time. So that... that <laughs> well, wait, the Unreal, Unreal 2, not, certainly not. But like, no, 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 I'm talking about Wheel no, of no, Time. The originals. Yeah, okay, the originals, yeah. So, I mean, you were using... I mean, what even... Do you even remember what compilers you were using? Because back then you had to, like, go and pay for compilers and you had to pay for all the tools that you would be using to build. It was not... There was no real open source ecosystem in the DOS world. Um, when... So we were... So, remember, I'm a game designer. I started out as an engineer... Um, sure. But I mostly fo focus on game design, um, so I can't go into like exactly what what you know C sure, sure. Uh, compilers were we using at the time. But you were using C, and, and oh yeah, you had you had your own engine. What do you what do you remember about that engine you guys had? So so you're talking about the adventure game engine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the founders of Legend came from in in uh, Infocom. Um, and so they were very familiar with uh, Zill, the programming language, and they wanted something like that, but they couldn't take it. And they didn't want to, to let anybody think that they had stolen any code from Infocom. So they went to a company and said, we need, we need a parser. Um, we need a, you know, a, something that can do these things. And, so, and they made it pretty much black box for them. Um, so they knew what inputs and what outputs uh, could happen. And we, um, so we got that thing. They did this actually even before I got there. So they had their, uh, but but everything was coded in C. Uh, you know, it used this this parser engine, but everything else was just was just code. So you were writing to the specifically to this parser. Was it like plain English or? Yeah, yeah, it was nice. really quite advanced for for its time. I mean, you remember Infocom? It allowed you to type in you know real English uh, sentences, mm -hmm. and it would parse them and you know tell the, the the game what it needed to know. And that's exactly what ours did. I think ours was even more advanced. It, it could, you could put in compound sentences. You could do pretty much anything you wanted. It was it was so open ended that it was really user unfriendly <laughs> because <laughs> people want adventure game players want to know what they're supposed to do. And if you've got the, all the world all the world's words to choose from, it's kind of difficult to nail that down. So and also people didn't want text adventures anymore. And so even the first game that came out of Legend was a graphic adventure, but it had a tiny little picture in the corner and then a bunch of verbs that you could choose from, a huge list of them on the left, and then text descriptions on the right. So gotcha. 
So uh, uh, to prompt the user as to what to do, to give them a clue. Right? Yes, exactly. But that list of verbs was monstrous. I mean, it, <laughs> I swear there were maybe a hundred verbs all over there, and there were ones that we could, you know, make dynamically appear too. Wow. Uh, I wanted to shift gears just a little bit. I see on your your page that uh, you you played D and D growing up, right? Sure. So I'm wondering what effect uh, designing adventures for D and D had on your later designing of adventures for computers. Uh, it was it, it, in the early years. It was one to one. So I made a couple of games called um, uh, or D and D modules called Castle of the Creator, and I actually ran that in a tournament in high school um, where other people would come from other school districts and they would compete. And one of those modules was Castle of the Creator. And I turned that into a uh, text adventure on the Coco. And then later, I think uh, something similar became in Quest of the Star-Lord, which is a graphic adventure. So I was absolutely working sort of in the same creative space. Um, and, you know, just dealing with with uh, players as a dm you get that game design experience you understand it's not about you winning (laughs) which is a conversation i have with junior designers all the time you don't have to beat people in order to win it's not about that it's about giving them the best possible experience and so as a dm that's what you're trying to do you're trying to make sure that they have fun and so as a game designer obviously that's where we want to end up it, it's interesting you even mentioned that because I think it was that is a foreign concept to D and D players today. The idea <laughs> that the DM could win, you know, they, they they tell you know quiet hush stories about oh they used to do total party kills back in the day and things like that. <laughs> very different mindset uh, back in the original role playing days. Right? Yeah, definitely, it has shifted a lot. My kids actually play D and D, and I don't recognize the game anymore. It's not, it's not about really, you know, collecting as much loot and getting your stats up as high as you can. So you can kill as many orcs as possible. That's just not, not part of their experience. It's all about story. It's all about character. It's all about relationships. And I think that's cool. I think that's really neat. It's a, it's a fun goal to have, not just to, you know, find a Monty Hall DM and, you know, walk away with a Vorpal sword. Yeah, no, the, the it's an R O L E playing game, R O L L playing game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, in in that vein, when you're designing more modern games, like for okay, the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. When you were working on that, that's a crazy property to have to get to grips with. How many books were out at the time when it came? <laughs> like six, six or seven, six. I think. And then how many? And then he died. And uh, I know before you could complete the series, right? Like, oh my gosh, I hope you know doesn't happen to game of thrones too uh, <laughs> yeah i agree uh, what was that sort of like being saddled with that much backstory and, and world to deal with so it wasn't the first time i had done that um i actually made Deathgate. that was the project i made before that and Deathgate had i think five books out at the time and they weren't done um and i approached that very differently than wheel of time i initially I actually approached them both projects the same. But Deathgate, I took all of the material and I made my own story out of it. I compacted it. I cut out characters. But it was true to the spirit. Um, I mean, it really lent itself well to an adventure game uh, because there were different worlds with different goals in them. And one character went and explored each one, and eventually it all came together at the end. So that worked out really well. Wheel of Time was a different beast, and Jordan was a different author. He didn't like an adventure game. He didn't want the adventure game anyway because he knew that the the potential upside wasn't as big as other genres. He wanted something different. 
And it just so happened that I had been sort of noodling this idea of Doom meets Magic the Gathering. And I was like, well, you know, maybe maybe we do this adventure game, but as a sequel, we could do this other thing. And he said, mm, how about we do that now? <laughs> I said, oh, okay, well, we don't want to lose the license. And I already spent like a fair number, of, a fair amount of time designing part of the adventure game. So I didn't want to see that go, but we wanted to keep the license. So we started working on Wheel of Time, the first person shooter. And I also, he didn't, he did not want me to mess with his characters. He did not want me to retell a story. He did not want me to end, tell an ending that wasn't his. So I made it into a prequel. Um, so that sidestepped a lot of issues that he might have had with the story. Um, but I will say that fandom was rabid. I mean, as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as we announced that we were doing a Wheel of Time game, um, they were, they were all over me. But what was, what was nice is once I let them understand, and this is true of any license, and I've worked on a lot of them, um, once they understood the respect that I had for the material, because I was the one who actually went after the license. I was the true fan. They didn't, Random House didn't have Jordan, and they, they gave us a lot to choose from, but Jordan was the one that I really wanted to work with. Um, and so once they understood the respect that I had for it, and I proved it by showing my knowledge and my intentions, I, I won a lot of them over. So I didn't have to be the one um, defending myself the whole time. I had other people out there saying, no, 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 he knows what he's doing, and he's doing the right thing by us, which is great. You absolutely need that because you can't be the only one in, in your corner. That's that's huge because I mean, if I'm a Wheel of Time fan, I want a role playing game. I want Skyrim uh, or something like that's that. Right? Exactly, like, that's the obvious thing. That's what everybody um, was asking for. But um, a lot of people really appreciated our take, uh, and partially because it wasn't the obvious take. Yeah, no, it's and you say there's still people who are into it today, and it's it's got a community still around today. It's it's remarkable to still be uh, alive today as a first-person shooter from that era. There aren't a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of amazed by that. And, and I think you're going to see some additional attention uh, on it as the, um, the TV show comes out. Oh, that's right. They're doing a TV show. Well, how timely. Oh, yes. My. Yes, I was actually just on a Wheel of Time podcast talking about this. And, um, and that, that came up. I have a feeling that things are interesting things are going to be on the, on the horizon. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's a little hint. Do you want to plug that podcast? Um, it is the Dusty Wheel. Um, Dusty Wheel. Yeah, and I was just on like last week. But, uh, I mean, you never know. Um, I just have a feeling that, you know, the property is going to get a lot of attention. So, I mean, it seems like it's about time. Ha 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 ha. So I just wanted to touch on one more thing before we get on to what you're doing today. Uh, and I was just sort of wondering what lessons you took from your early career of running your own game company that maybe allowed you to succeed later on in your other game development endeavors. So I think um, there are very few times when I sort of didn't own the project. And so early on at Sundog Systems, I mean, I owned everything. I was doing art. I was doing music. I was doing coding. I was um, you know, selling it. Uh, I was marketing it. And so having all of those, wearing all of those hats really helped me in the early days of, you know, game development anywhere. Um, because at Legend, I started out as a, as a programmer, but Legend was so small that you, if you could wear a hat, you did wear a hat. So I was immediately doing like QA and sound effects and, you know, moving up, doing production and then moving up to become a designer and then eventually becoming creative director of the studio. Um, so you basically, if you can, if you have the talent to do something, you should absolutely push, push the envelope, do as much as you can. Because I think now we have come to a point where individual P 
people can make some incredible things. The middleware is out there so that if you have the talent and the wherewithal, you can, with a garage band or a garage group, you know, you can make something fantastic. And since everything is distributed nowadays, you can do it with people in, you know, from all over the world as long as you have sort of a shared vision. And so it doesn't take that many people to make something incredible. So... I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, the, the the access people have to tools and resources these days, it's exponentially greater than what you had when you were developing in the 90s and 80s. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It was not easy finding middleware at the time. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah, no, there was no developer tools market. That's why I was asking about the compilers, because like literally you could go to a store... I don't know if some of the kids today know this, but like in the 80s and 90s, you would go to a store and buy a box, and this was like C in a box. Like, this is how you program. <laughs> and it would be a you million go. floppies. <laughs> oh, yeah, and a huge book, and like three other books, and like, you know, flyers for magazines and conferences, and it was how they engaged with developers. You went and you, it was like you go to the supermarket. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, but I did want to move on to something not programming related. You're writing these days. Uh, I am. I so I've had a lot of experience working with um, established authors in both fantasy and science fiction. Um, and the moment I was actually pitching um, Wheel of Time to a publisher, um, they told me this was Activision. They told me they liked the game, but they didn't want the license. And so the night before I presented to them, they said, "Come up with a different premise." And so I did. We ended up going with GT, who did want the license. I mean, it is one of the major selling points of the game. Um, so, but that premise stuck with me. And um, after I was done with that game, I came back to it and said, well, is there a game I could do here that's you know, different than, than Wheel of Time? But I realized what it was was a story, and it wanted to become a novel. And 20 years later, I actually released that novel, and it's called The Child of Chaos. But the world in it is, is so rich and um, so well-defined that I, I really want to stay there. And even though I kind of blow it up at the end of the book, not to give too much away, um, it is, it's still really compelling. And so um, Child of Chaos is out. The prequel, uh, which focuses one fan favorite character from there, uh, Dantes, a warrior priest, um, he's got his own book that's coming out called Game of War. And right now I'm working on the sequel to Child of Chaos called Curse of Chaos. And so hopefully people will be able to, to read all of those uh, sometime soon. Where did people find out about your books? So you can go to mysterium.blog. That has a lot of information, not only about the books, but about um, all of my games. I actually have um, fairly large behind-the-scenes articles that describe the development of every game, a lot of the games that I've worked on, all the way up until, like, Glee, I think. I made a game based on the a Glee Fox show. Um, and, uh, and you can also find it on Amazon. Um, I narrated the audiobook. You can find that on um, Audible. Um, and so uh, those are the places that I would go to check me out. And I, I should point out that those things that you've written about each game, those are fantastic resources for just learning about what it's like to make video games. I mean, it's like they're post-mortems. Yeah, they are. And every game is a disaster. Every game is a miracle. <laughs> Um, if you, if, I mean, getting it out the door is like, it's amazing it ever happens. Um, and the, the bigger the teams, the, the more exponential, it harder, harder it gets to, to get it out the door. And so, you know, why shouldn't people understand all the craziness that happens um, in those games? And so it makes for interesting reading. Yeah, absolutely. As I'm sure your uh, fiction novels do, too. When is the next one coming out? Um, uh, it's in editing, and I'm really hoping it'll be out in the next few months. 
Okay, excellent. Still, so you can still catch the tail end of the COVID's people who might be eating books every week. <laughs> well, honestly, COVID was horrible because I wanted to do signings. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to actually meet people who enjoyed the book, and everything just got shut down immediately. So, you know, I, sure, I, I'm selling to people online, and that's great, but I really would like to connect with with people who buy my book. Oh, that's a that is a huge lost uh, part of the book reading experience. You're absolutely right. Uh, but it is uh, unfortunate. But, you know, we'll be back to those sorts of things soon. I mean, you know, you're going to get out there and sign again, right? Yeah, well, I'm getting my next shot um, early May. That's my, my final shot. So I'll definitely uh, want to go out and, and meet people and, and uh, show them what I've got. Excellent. Well, it has been a delight talking to you, Glenn. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And and uh, a big props to you guys at MADE. It's, it's an amazing uh, organization. It's an amazing experience. I actually teach a class at UC Berkeley every summer. And for the last, I think it's two or maybe even three summers, um, I brought my class into MADE as a field trip. And they had a blast. You can't really cover the kind of history that you guys do in a classroom. You just don't have the facilities and the uh, all the material. But there, it's so, it, they can play anything that they can they can remember in their history. And a lot of these kids, they're all like, you know, just getting into college, uh, high school kids just getting in college, and they haven't been exposed to any of this stuff. They don't even know it exists. So it's a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I fully support you guys. Well, thank you so much, Glenn, for your kind words. We really appreciate it. And we're working very hard behind the scenes to build something absolutely amazing that should be back in in coming years. So. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to bring another field trip there. Well, we'll we will be back uh, for you to do so. And again, thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. And we're back. Okay. So thank you very much for Glenn Dahlgren for joining us on those and your kind words about the maid. Uh, we hope that you will also be able to bring your, bring your class back. Uh, it was, we always had fun hosting a class full of people eager to check out the history of games. So it was nice actually having college students getting to see things they've never seen before or never even got a chance to have their hands on get immersed in that. So thank you very much for all of your support and we wish you great things in the future. Also uh, go check out all of his links uh, and his book, the child of chaos. So throwing it over to y'all. What have you, have you been playing anything new? Uh, I haven't, I have not played anything new, but I was going to, I will be playing lots of Pokemon Snap later today, but as this is, uh, what are you currently playing does not qualify currently. <laughs> I have not been playing something new yet, but I did got myself something from the Golden Week sale of Steam. Ooh, that's, no, that's another thing I need to check out. What, uh, yeah. what has been on sale currently for the Golden Week? So I have got myself Jetset Radio, which is about a box. A surprise that is actually on Steam, but it did shows up. So why not just pay it and play it? So and also, oh yeah, yes, yeah, it's Jetset Radio. I mean, everyone knows that. I'm not talking about how good it's music. Yeah, no, it's all there. So it'll be a yeah. It's oh yeah, I mean, crazy. Oh my god! Crazy it's it's an amazing, yeah. It's uh, it's a very pivotal soundtrack for a lot of people. It's like they changed what video game music can actually be, and it's like, oh my god, you can 
do whatever you want, really, as long as it fits the the vibe of the game. We vibing? Oh, please cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> that was. And I also get that was a mistake, and I admit it. And I also get myself guilty gears, just because my friend said it has Ooh. good music, and it's pretty cheap. Yeah, I've it's heard, within ten uh, bucks, so why not? Oh yeah, I mean that's the thing that has been really getting me uh, as a new PC player. The Steam sales—they're pretty dangerous. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're just the breadth of things at your tit at your fingertips <laughs> is pretty special. Uh, I'm like, oh, all these games that I've never, never that I always wanted but didn't have the money to buy. I suddenly have the money to buy all of them yeah. because they're all like. Fifteen dollars. It's so a trap. <laughs> yeah, it is a trap, up. but it's a smart business model because Steam already has me hooked. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I should check out a little bit of the Epic Store too and Epic Launchers. You know, throw a little support for them calling out Apple. We'll see. Don't need to throw my. <laughs> don't need to make this a public thing. The maid does not support any of my personal. No one comments. paid us. No, no one paid us. Uh, I mean, but Apple or Epic, if either of you want to pay us, maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll be happy of receiving it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can donate. Uh, you can uh, send a donation link to info at the org, and we will gladly accept any donation you want to have to keep us open. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been a not otherworldly news week. There's nothing too crazy going on news wise, but we'll see how everything ends up happening. I think it'll be a new good week with everything coming out and what we'll be able to take care of. Mm -hmm. uh, this'll be a very, very exciting upcoming game session. I mean, we have, it's gonna be nice. I like, ah, I'm very excited to put Pokemon Snap. Uh, I just wanna go roam around and see, like just hold the switch and go around everywhere, just holding it up in the air, waving it around, just walking around playing Pokemon Snap like I'm actually finding them in the wild. I want to play that too. <laughs> but Red, there is Pokemon Go already on your phone. Hey, it's different. You don't um, take. It, it's it's different. Yeah, I'm not catching them. I'm capturing their likeness. It's not like in they're living in the habitat. real world in, in Pokemon Go. They're just existing suddenly in somewhere in the city and not doing anything. But in, in, in the Pokemon Snap, they're really living in the natural world. Yes. Yeah. In Pokemon Snap, they're in the natural world and you can actually see it. Huh. <sighs> Alrighty. Well... It, is there anything new and exciting that y'all have been playing or want to check out? Um, I've been playing. I just started uh, Days Gone. Ooh. Oh yeah, recently. Um, yeah, really, really. I'm really liking it so far. There's a whole lot of sort of uh, deep mechanics and systems in place that I was sort of surprised by. Um, is Days Gone another like a uh, kind of survival esque game again? Yeah, yeah, sort of action, adventure, survival, horror. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, yeah, I knew there was a a bit of a horror horror aspect to it. So, yeah, tons of tons of jump scares for sure. <laughs> ah, okay, jump scares. We'll see how 
I'm not much of a jump scare guy. It they can kind of hurt. <laughs> me me well, neither, hurt, but hurt the soul. It's I don't know. I find it fun, like you know, just the whole adrenaline of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I'm I'm liking it so far. Um, open world, um, lots of mechanics, crafting, um, resource management, stealth. Um, lots of story things lots of storylines to explore and the whole um i guess the zombies they're, they're in this game they're called freakers. freakers um they sort of have this uh fitting kind of like horde mentality so mm-hmm. uh sometimes you'll encounter just giant hordes and you have nothing else to do but run away or you can fight them but um in the beginning stages you're sort of ill-equipped to fight them so yeah your only option is to run well i I like that learning curve as well because you gotta you you don't get everything right away in a game you gotta learn and build yourself up to it and appreciate the appreciate the items that you later earn uh i think there's i mean that's why cheat codes sometimes can take away certain things um also i saw a post on reddit about someone showing a the big book of cheat codes uh, do you guys remember those <laughs> oh those in old days yeah. uh those were some of my oh man no i would browse through them looking at them and like looking at the cheat codes for games that i didn't have and being like okay now i want this game just because this cheat code allows you to do this in this game uh, it's like I can like just free roam the map. I can remove items from like uh, summon any enemy. Uh, it, it brought back a lot of memories of sitting in a blockbuster reading that book for about a half hour while my mom goes <laughs> to pick out <laughs> pick out a movie for mm-hmm. uh, Well, I I think that is this is all the time that we have for this week, but um want to thank you all for listening again thank you for listening to the museum of art and digital entertainment's official podcast if you've got any thoughts questions corrections or general museum ideas shoot us an email at um, <laughs> shoot us an email at info at the made.org. we'd like to s- <clears throat> shoot us an email at info at the we'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patreon supporters who keep the made afloat Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Chen. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. Thanks. We'll see you next time. See ya. See See you next time, everybody. Later, Uh, gamers. (laughs) (laughs) That's my line. (laughs) You're too slow.